Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Civilians left a steel plant in Ukraine after weeks of being trapped there as a group of U.S. lawmakers visit Eastern Europe to show support. The Ukrainian fighter jet pilot who allegedly took down six Russian warplanes is actually a myth. The Ukrainian military admitted it after the country spread this story on social media. President Biden spoke at the White House Correspondents' Dinner over the weekend. He praised reporters for their bravery in Ukraine reporting and also offered up a few jokes. Some good news out of Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says over 100 civilians were evacuated from a steel plant in Mariupol over the weekend, but hundreds of people remain trapped. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. Eyewitness footage shows Ukrainian civilians emerging from the ruined Azovstal steelworks in the city of Mariupol Sunday. The United Nations brokered the deal. After leaving the steel plant, dozens of civilians arrived at a temporary shelter in the Donetsk region Sunday. The convoy includes Ukrainian buses with Russian forces and United Nations vehicles. Evacuee Natalia Usmanova worked at the plant and went there because of the bomb shelters. She says as the fighting got closer, they became more scared and tried to leave. But the Ukrainian forces wouldn't let them, saying Russian forces would shoot civilians. We knew about the humanitarian corridors. We knew about the evacuation point. We were not just let out. And when the shells started landing nearby, I thought my heart would stop and I would not survive it. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Sunday more than 100 civilians were evacuated. For the first time in all of the days of the war, this vital corridor has started working. For the first time, there were two days of ceasefire in this area. Meanwhile, Russia said Monday it hit dozens of Ukrainian military targets in the east over the last 24 hours. And it released footage purportedly showing a missile hitting a military airfield in Odessa. At the same time, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and a group of lawmakers are visiting Eastern Europe. She met Poland's president Monday. America stands with Ukraine. We stand with Ukraine until victory is won. They also made a surprise visit to Ukraine Saturday, meeting with President Zelensky in Kyiv. Pelosi's the highest-ranking American official to visit the war-torn country to date. The top priority in Washington this week is passing a $33 billion aid package for Ukraine. It's garnered bipartisan support. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. There's a mysterious Ukrainian war hero who has been hailed as the ghost of Kyiv. Not only did they not die in combat, but they also weren't real. That's according to the Ukrainian military. The tale says the anonymous Ukrainian fighter jet pilot allegedly shot down six Russian warplanes in one day. The claim was circulated on social media since the beginning of Russia's invasion. The media ran with the story, and official Ukrainian social media channels promoted it as well. Those include the Twitter accounts of the Ukrainian government and one of the country's former presidents. The official Ukrainian government's Twitter account wrote, People call him the ghost of Kyiv, and rightly so. This UAF ace dominates the skies over our capital and country and has already become a nightmare for invading Russian aircrafts. As the invasion went on, many people questioned whether the ghost was real. But not until the ghost's death made headlines did the Ukrainian military admit they never existed. One of those headlines is an article by the Times of London last week. 
The paper identified the ghost as Stepan Tarabalka and said he flew a MiG-29 fighter jet. The report went on to say that the ghost shot down 40 Russian aircraft but was then killed when he was overwhelmed by enemy forces. As a result of the article, the Ukrainian Air Force clarified that Tarabalka did die in a battle but was not the ghost of Kyiv. They said the ghost is a fictional character, adding it was created to lift Ukrainian morale. A Ukrainian Air Force spokesman told the New York Times that on March 13th, Major Tarabalka died in an air battle with superior Russian forces. All this while Ukraine continues to ask the U.S. to give its forces American fighter jets like F-16s so they can help take away Russia's air advantage. But senior Pentagon officials said the Ukrainian Air Force relies on Russian-made aircraft and that the U.S. is not planning to send out F-16s to Ukraine. A senior defense official said last week that Washington has been helping coordinate with other countries that have the types of fighter jets that Ukrainians fly. Those are nations in the Eastern Bloc. U.S. President Joe Biden offered up humor and praise on stage as the White House resumed its annual Correspondents Association dinner on Saturday night. With journalists, media executives, and celebrities in attendance, Biden opened his speech with several jokes. I'm really excited to be here tonight with the only group of Americans with a lower approval rating than I have. But his remarks took a more serious turn as he thanked the journalists for their coverage of Ukraine and made a plea for national unity. We've all seen the courage of the Ukrainian people because of the courage of American reporters in this room and your colleagues across the world who are on the ground taking their lives in their own hands. A recent rise in COVID-19 cases in Washington brought an undercurrent of caution to this year's event. Organizers required every attendee to be tested for the virus. Biden took extra precautions at the event by skipping the dinner portion, attending only the speaker's program. Coming up in Ohio, voters are gearing up for primary election day. Find out what they're saying about the candidate who Trump endorsed, J.D. Vance. And Boston celebrated the bicentennial of the city's incorporation. A number of speakers paid tribute to its monumental history. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Ohio's primary election is tomorrow, with many U.S. Senate candidates to choose from. Trump endorsed J.D. Vance, who is gaining voters' attention. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg reports. In Westchester, Ohio on Saturday, voters attending the James David Vance campaign event shared their opinions on the U.S. Senate candidate. I hope he doesn't win because I don't like to see that Trump has so much influence on the Republican Party. What you did with Vance is the only Trump-endorsed candidate in a packed race for Ohio's Senate seat. We wanted to hear him firsthand to know, you know, if we could trust him with our vote or not. Um, just not just taking it for the fact that Trump is endorsing him. Vance is also endorsed by Republican representatives Matt Gates of Florida and Georgia's Marjorie Taylor Greene, both who were in attendance on Saturday. If he has good ideas and if he's dedicated, you know, you ought to be able to stand, you know, on, on that record rather than saying, hey, uh, vote for me because I'm a Donald Trumper. I, I don't see that. Uh, I think Ohioans ought to have something better than that. 
J.D. Vance is a conservative commentator, author, and venture capitalist. He expressed views critical of Trump in the past, but apologized before his candidacy for U.S. Senate. I want him to fight for our country and get us a better country. Vance is running on a platform of restoring America's manufacturing base, raising taxes on companies that send jobs overseas, breaking up monopolies from big tech, and addressing inflation. Nine-year-old Liam Perrigan tagged along with his mother and grandmother for a chance to meet the candidate in person. I've been doing that for a long time, and I've, I mean, I've been wanting to do that for a long time, and it's finally, it's finally done it. <laughs> I've finally done it, sorry. According to Liam, the Trump endorsement would be enough to get his vote. If, if Trump says to vote for him, I'm voting for him. I don't care. I don't give a dang. <laughs> the 37-year-old first-time political candidate is best known for his book, Hillbilly Elegy, a memoir about his family values and the social problems in his hometown of Middleton, Ohio. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Boston marked its 200th anniversary as an incorporated city over the weekend. The event looked back at the tremendous changes in the city's past and what they mean for the future. Let's take a look. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu and members of the City Council attended a celebration of the city's 200th anniversary. The 200 years, the weight, the solid, solemn chunk of history that we are still adding to today, it gives pause and gives a chance for us to really reflect not only on where we're going, but whether we're telling the right story of where we have been. Wu spoke of the strong connection between the city's future and past. And as we heard from so many speakers today, sometimes that story has to recognize that even today, even 200 years later, in many spaces, our presence, simply our existence, is still revolutionary. The ceremony began in the Old South Meeting House, where a number of speakers recall the founding of the city. In 1630, arriving English colonists first established Boston as a town. Later, on February 1822, the state government passed an act establishing the city of Boston, followed by its official incorporation on May 1st of the same year. Professor Robert Allison of Suffolk University spoke of the major changes in Boston's history. Boston, in 1822, was about to experience a period of profound change. It already was the fourth largest city in the country. And over the next decade, that's the decade of the 1820s, its population would increase by 50%. And the population is going to triple in the next 30 years. Just think about that tremendous change happening in this relatively small, compact place. Boston's poet laureate Portia Olaiwola dedicated her poem, Boston Ode to the Event. Boston parent of our hollowed America, someone else's God before the land was conquered. Not the city we are born of, but it is a charitable home. City Council President Ed Flynn read part of the city charter in front of the old city hall building. Dominated the Board of Aldermen. A procession then led participants to the city hall plaza for the rising of the city flag. During the event, Mayor Wu also announced the formation of the Boston Memorial Committee. The committee will seek to commemorate the city's big moments from a variety of perspectives. Still to come, Guy Lafleur lies in state at the home of the Montreal Canadiens. The hockey legend and his family were honored by thousands. 
And Rafael Nadal speaks of the challenges in trying to come back from a rib injury. He hopes to be well enough to compete at the French Open. Find out more in just a minute here on NTD News. Thousands of people lined up to pay their respects to Canadian hockey legend Guy Lafleur. He lay in state Sunday at the Bell Centre in Montreal. Lafleur will continue to lie in state at the home arena of the Montreal Canadiens through Monday. He will then be honoured with a state funeral May 3rd in downtown Montreal. Lafleur died April 22nd at age 70. He was a native of Quebec and played 16 of his 17 NHL seasons in the province. Nicknamed the Flower, Lafleur was a five-time Stanley Cup champion for the Montreal Canadiens. He twice won the Hart Trophy as the NHL MVP. He also won the Conn Smythe Trophy in 1977 as MVP of the playoffs. After 14 seasons with the Canadiens, he played one season with the New York Rangers and two with the Quebec Nordiques before retiring in 1991. Lafleur had been battling lung cancer and other ailments since 2019. Rafael Nadal says his fitness is far from perfect. He is preparing to return to action after a debilitating rib injury. The former tennis world number one is racing against time to get ready for the French Open. I'm good physically in terms of um, the rib is um, recovered. I am. I have been doing tests uh, every single week uh, to see how the situation evolves. So if I came here, because the doctors told me I have no risk at all. The 35-year-old clinched a men's record 21st Grand Slam singles title at the Australian Open earlier this year. He is now battling to get back to his best before the French Open. That's after suffering a stress fracture in his rib at Indian Wells, where he lost in the final. He says the injury is limiting, and the pain caused him to lose sleep the first few weeks after the injury. The French Open begins on May 22nd. Nadal will bid for a record-extending 14th title. On today's health segment, we'll look at the benefits of going barefoot. It's an opportunity to reconnect with the earth you live on. Here's Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body. You might wonder why you feel so much better whenever you walk barefoot on humid soil or on a sandy beach. This isn't anything new to science, it's earthing, also known as grounding. Earthing refers to contact with Earth's surface electrons. You can achieve this by walking barefoot outside. Based on scientific research, the planet's electrons induce numerous physiological changes to the body. This includes better sleep, reduced pain and blood thinning effect. Let's dive deeper into the benefits of being barefoot to your overall health and well-being. Number 1. Stress and Mood Enhancement According to a study involving 58 healthy adults, earthing appeared to significantly affect electrophysiological properties of the brain and muscles. This suggests reduced overall stress levels and tensions as well as a shift in autonomic nervous system balance. Number 2. Pain Management in one pilot study, grounding appeared to alter measures of immune system activity and pain. Researchers also looked at the effects of grounding on massage therapists' quality of life and pain. They observed consistent and beneficial effects. 
the results demonstrated that grounding benefited multiple domains relevant to their job, supporting overall wellness and quality of life. Number three, cardiovascular health. Grounding appears to increase the surface charge of red blood cells that reduces blood viscosity and clumping. It also reduces cardiovascular risk and events. Number four, protection from common viruses. Earthing has natural anti-inflammatory effects on the human body. It may help out with the common cold and flu. In addition to accelerating immune response after vaccination, earthing also improves the immune response. This is essential for recovering from the flu. Getting grounded is free and readily accessible. It doesn't require conductive sandals or earthing products at all. The easiest way to do it, go barefoot. Walk, lie down, stand or sit in a chair with your feet on the ground for a few hours every day. On land, conductive services for grounding include soil, grass, sand, gravel, rock and concrete. Damp earth or at the water's edge is recommended as moisture enhances conductivity. You cannot ground yourself on asphalt, vinyl or wooden surfaces. These are non-conductive. If you're just starting out, begin with 20 minutes each day and work your way up. Emotional scenes unfolded at the Auckland airport. Vaccinated travellers from 60 countries were allowed to enter New Zealand without needing to quarantine. Families and friends hugged each other upon reuniting as flights touched down in Auckland, where Maori dancers greeted them. Tourists from visa waiver countries, including the United States, Britain and Singapore, will now be able to visit New Zealand. However, the border will remain closed for all other visitors until October. New Zealand had some of the toughest border controls in the world during the CCP virus pandemic. A short-lived travel bubble between New Zealand and Australia was suspended in mid-2021 after COVID outbreaks. Travelers are currently required to do both a pre-departure and arrival test for COVID-19. Qantas Airways says it has ordered 12 A350-1000 planes from Airbus. They will be used for the world's longest commercial flight. The company also bought 40 narrow-body jets to renew its domestic fleet. The world's longest flight will take passengers from Sydney to London. The deal comes as market conditions improve. Demand for travel is also recovering from the pandemic faster than expected. That's allowing the carrier to reduce debt. It's now forecasting a return to profit in the next financial year. Qantas did not disclose the value of the deal, but it is likely to be in the billions of dollars. The Sydney to London flights will take nearly 20 hours and will begin in late 2025. The 40 narrow-body aircraft will renew the carrier's aging domestic fleet. The order also includes options to buy another 94 planes to be delivered up until 2034. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email on screen. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.